Welcome to Apply the Word, a podcast of Redeemer Church, where we take uh, the messages that were preached on Sunday and talk about them, particularly from the aspect of application. We are going to be talking about my message from yesterday, and it was on Ephesians 2, uh, verses 11 through 22. I've got our pastor, my dad, here with me today, and we're excited to talk about this, so let's get going. All right, so... Dad, why don't you, uh, you were the one taking notes during my message. My message was on Ephesians 2, uh, 11 through 22. You were taking notes, so <laughs> I'm eager to hear your summation of the message. Well, yes, it was uh, an outstanding message, particularly since you used the very same outline that I used the week before. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, which was really, I mean, that is what Paul was saying, who we were, what we, what God did, and who we are now. It's an, it really is an identity passage. One of the things that, that I found uh, really uh, compelling about what you were, were sharing was your opening related to um, how we need others, how community is so important and the connection you were making with the triune God. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, what you were communicating, what the burden was there. So in the passage, first of all, Dad glossed over it a little bit, but the outline follows Dad um, preached on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and his outline followed the three points of who we are and then what God did and then who we are now, or sorry, who we were, what God did, and who we are now. And I ended up using that same outline because the whole chapter follows that sort of pattern. It's, uh, it's a good way to think about that chapter. The, the reason I got into the community thing is there's, um, I forget, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's verse 12 that mentions our separation from Christ. And so I got into the idea of separation, who we who we were was separated, separated from Christ, separated from the promises. Um, so he's speaking to Gentiles in particular, so separated outside of the old covenant, um, completely without God and without hope in the world. And so I was talking about how as humans we need community. We, we are made in the image of God. God is three in one. And so he has the idea of community wrapped up in his very being. And we as humans who are created him in his image need that. And so the idea of separation, therefore, is uh, should be horrifying to us. And I got into that a little bit and, and talked about that, that idea. And so what kind of application do you think that has for kind of where things are in society now, especially as it relates to social media and people's understanding of their need for others, and even their need for church. Right. I think it is, people understand that they need community. I, I don't think it's a matter of, there's not that many people out there who are just, oh, I, I don't need anybody. 
like I said, people who think that we designate as right, you know, sociopaths. Right. Like we, most people have an understanding that they need some kind of community. They're just looking for it in some crazy places. Um, social media gives some people the impression that they have community that they actually don't really have. Um, it can foster a false sense of community. And so that, that definitely comes into play. So I don't think it's a matter necessarily of folks not understanding that they need it. They're just uh, too easily get it from uh, ingenuine places. Um, and yeah. that sort of replaces the where we're supposed to be getting it, whether it's from family or particularly um, the local church. And participating in this, uh, what I got into later, is the family of God that, that Paul mentions towards the end of chapter 2. Yeah, and I was going to jump there a little bit ahead in in terms of how you uh, framed that and how you, I mean, that was a really salient point during the message, powerful point during the message, where you were talking about the problem with uh, the idea of commitment to family being the highest commitment versus the family of God. Talk a little bit about that. I think we've mentioned, I mentioned in a message probably a month ago, um, Kevin DeYoung tweeted something about, you know, mm-hmm. family can be an idol. Like, right. It was a very straightforward comment about don't let your family be your idol. And it, and because it was Twitter, obviously, he posted it on Twitter. Right. He got a Twitter response of um, a lot of people saying outrageous things in disagreement with him when he was making a basic biblical point. So then he expanded on the idea in a in a blog post where he was like, I guess I need to explain this. And he he just sort of went through and made the biblical case, which is very easy to make just using the Gospels of uh, the fact that, yes, family can be an idol because our uh, blood relatives, um, there's a limit there to what they can provide us in terms of community, but also we're not, our loyalty is supposed to be directed to something in particular that is the highest loyalty. The Jesus makes it clear our spiritual family is the highest level of loyalty that we should give. Our spiritual family is our church. And that, that deserves our highest loyalty. That deserves our uh, best devotion. That deserves our love and not that it should be in competition with our blood relatives right. there's no you, reason for that to be the case right so how do you respond then to someone who says well that's easy for you to say because you're you go to church with all your family you've got you know uh your blood relatives around you and you know what a great situation but i mean how do you respond to that kind of notion my response is that ideally these things aren't in competition and the fact that they're not in competition um for me I am very grateful for because it would be very tough if I was having to make decisions um, where I was, do I give loyalty to my local church or do I give it to my family? A lot of times you don't have, you don't have to make that decision um, because the two are not in competition. It is when things, things can happen that, that turn it into, well, I've got to pick one or the other. And those things you know, one of the ones DeYoung mentions is families feel like if one of their kids is a superstar soccer player, well, Sunday mornings are for soccer. And so what, what are we going to choose there? The gathering with the saints or the going to soccer with the talented kid? 
it can feel like I, well, my loyalty is to my child and his success and his, he loves this game and he gets community from his teammates. And, and so they, they prioritize that over uh, the clear teaching of scripture that Sunday, that, well, a day is designated to the gathering of the church. So the kid is whining and crying and his self-esteem is at stake and all those kinds of things. Parenting wise, how do you help someone walk through that? Well, it depends, I guess, on if the kid is, how old the kid is. If, if he's an eight-year-old, then I'm walking him through differently than when he's 15, and hopefully have done the work when he was eight so that it's not an issue when he's right, 15. Right, But basically, you, you have to lead the kid through, um, our priorities are set by Scripture, not by what we're good at, right. <laughs> and not by what we think is best for us. Scripture tells us what's best for us, and it tells us where our loyalties lie. Um, and if it's we truly believe it's the Word of God, we're going to allow that to inform our hearts, not um, what we want to do. And for an eight-year-old, that's still tough. That right. They don't understand, and they can't see uh, the wisdom of finding your community in the local church on a Sunday morning rather than on the soccer field with your teammates. But hopefully the parents can. Right. And trust me, parents, kids are resilient enough to, to get over it. Uh, I remember Josh telling me one time, uh, actually, this was fairly recently. He's the oldest. He's 40 now. And, uh, he's very old. Yeah, very old. And, um, and he, we were talking about a trip that uh, we took to uh, California one, you know, years ago. And he, he was playing baseball. He was playing Babe Ruth baseball up in Virginia. And... Uh, and he stayed back to play in that game instead of, we let him stay back with his grandmother instead of going to California with us. And uh, he was shaking his head and just thinking that was one of the dumbest decisions I ever made because we had a great time while we were in California. Yeah, what, I mean, again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is why you don't let kids make decisions. That's right. You know, I'm going to stay home and play in a baseball game rather than go to California. <laughs> but... The, of course, he didn't even he didn't even know how to appreciate that until he finally, as an adult, got to travel to California. Yeah, and he was like, oh, this, this is I what I missed yeah, when I, I think at twelve years old. Yeah, so yeah, so it's it's larger than that. This can come into play right. when it's not kids. It comes into play um, with adults and mm-hmm. their decision making on uh, the participation in a local church. We see a lot um, in society today, cultural Christians who show up every now and then because they're Christians, um, but they have no active participation in the church. And so this can manifest it because they're prioritizing other things, usually family-related things. Right, like right. Sunday's the day that dad's not working or mom and dad are not working. And then the, the dogs are interrupting everything. The dogs are losing their minds. So, um, so anyway, you see it. And pardon the dogs. This is going to be an issue with every podcast, and that's fine. We d- we determined that they're allowed to be in here, and if they bark, we'll deal with it. Um, anyway, I, what I was getting to is a lot of those decisions are made based on family-related things. Mom and dad are working every other day, so Sunday's the day that we have together as a family, and that takes priority over meeting uh, with the local church on Sunday morning. There's all sorts of reasons that you can find to not make the local church the priority that it's supposed to be 
And so by my point, it was a brief point in the message, but my point was family um, can be an idol. Yeah. And it absolutely is in some cases, and we need to we need to guard against that. Great. Well, um, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the whole Shadowlands idea in terms of the C.S. Lewis reference that sure. you made, and even talk a little bit about the centrality of the church as a teaser for next week's message as well. So sounds good. All right, so we have Mom here. She's going to be talking about a new uh, ministry for Redeemer. Uh, Mom, why don't you tell us about it? Sure. Mom has a name, and I'm Cherie, and I'm she here does to tell ha- you— She does have a name. Yes, about a new ministry we're calling It's a Mom's Life. It's going to be starting on March 19th here, just in a couple of weeks, and it's going to be monthly uh, on a Tuesday night, the third Tuesday night of the month— and it's something I'm really looking forward to. I'm really excited about it, Joey. What, why this ministry? Why are we doing this in particular? Obviously, um, Redeemer could do any number of ministries. Why, why is this important to you and, and to Redeemer? Well, I'm, an, I'm a mom and a grandma, you know, so I'm an old lady now. And I'm looking at motherhood, and it's going, in my opinion, it's going through a pretty substantial transition. Moms, as I look at them, are busier than ever. It used to be that when you were a teenager, you know, I spent more time in the van than I did at home because I was taking you guys to practices and right. rehearsals and dropping you off at the community college when you were, you were very dual busy. enrolled. I was. And but that that whole busy life has now dropped to moms of toddlers. You've got moms who are taking their kids to gymnastics and preschool and, you know, play dates. And so I'm just seeing that moms today are really busy mm-hmm. and, and, and they're tired and they're talking about being tired. And then you add technology into that and kids spending a lot of time on technology and honestly, moms spending a lot of time in getting their connection through technology. So I want to provide a place where moms can come, connect with other moms, uh, hear that their struggles and their joys are common, mm-hmm. and I want, to, I want to love on them, give them food they didn't have to make, encourage them, surprise them with some fun gifts, and just have a monthly night out for, for comfort and encouragement and equipping and, and just hanging out with them. Well, that sounds awesome. I'm not a mom, but that sounds awesome to me. Oh, good. And so it sounds like it's... Uh... It's going to be good. It's going to be fun and yeah. hopefully very meaningful. So, Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And so it's out on social media, and we're getting a lot of response from people outside the church and the Lake Nona community. So if you're hearing this, come uh, or invite uh, friends to come along. Um, it's going to be a great time. Great. Now we're back, and I wanted to continue the discussion from uh, Joey's message on Sunday entitled Built Together. And in the last section, Joey, um, you were dealing with the whole issue of um, who we are now, and you made a reference to the 
C.S. Lewis quote about the Shadowlands, and I want you to elaborate a little bit on that in terms of how that, uh, even that idea comes into play in this passage and even in the discussion we were just having earlier. Yeah, I think the reason it came up was I was thinking through the passage um, makes the idea of being a household, being a family sound so appealing. And for some folks, that's just not the case, that when they think of family, when they think of the idea of God as father, that the warmth and protection idea doesn't come from that. Um, They have either bad experiences or other reasons why it just doesn't sound exciting to them. It doesn't, it sounds either not exciting at all or sometimes even dreadful. And so that's what got me thinking along the like family and the and the what it actually means and what it should mean um, oftentimes is not the experience that people actually have. Right. And it just reminded me of this idea that these things, even at their best, are just a shadow of what they really truly mean and what they're going to mean um, when the kingdom finally fully arrives. And so. I, I talked a little bit about that. I talked about how um, good families provide and families that are operating the way that they should provide a taste of what true family is. Um, and obviously you can have distortions of that, but at their best, these things are a um, shadowy picture of what's to come. And, but it's important that that picture is provided like that is part of what we're supposed to be doing is um, growing more and more into the real thing. Right. In the meantime, providing a shadowy, but a picture of what's to come. And that's true of the church. People, people tend to, at least in my years of experience, people tend to think of the church as something that is either optional or something where, okay, I need to find the best place for me and, you know, what's going to be best for, does it have this kind of ministry or that kind right. of ministry? I mean, and this reality that it's it's still going to be a shadow. Right. But it's important for us to get engaged in that process. Talk a little bit about why that's important. It's important because the whole idea here is and what god is doing in the world and doing it what he's doing in the world he's doing through the church and it's him building a dwelling place for himself and we are the passage says being built together as his dwelling place and so if we're not participating in that what are we doing like that is where we should be that is what we should be throwing ourselves into that is our priority as christians and I think sometimes folks miss the I, the fact that this God very specifically has um, a plan that does not include us not making a priority of a church of the church. Right. That is what we are supposed to be doing. It's not optional. It's not something that you can take or leave. It's not something where you should be bouncing around. Um, doing what you want. No, you should be throwing yourself into this because it is why why we are here. We are here to be built together into a dwelling place for God. That is what He's doing, and we should be, and one way or another, participating in that. And it's how He sanctifies us. It's how He He does all the things that He wants to do in our lives. Being built together means being built together with others. It means 
he's cleaning us. It means that he's curing us. It means these things. And it's all in the context of being a building. And later, Paul uses the the body uh, idea, and it's very similar. But it's the togetherness of it is absolutely essential and non-negotiable, according to uh, Paul. Why do you think it's easier for people to take take a look at the nation of Israel and understand the significance uh, of Israel in the Old Testament as the people of God, but have trouble thinking that way about the church as the people of God? I think part of the issue, this is, and I have not studied this, so this is right off the top of my head. It seems to me part of the issue is the the spiritualization of the idea. So it's easy to look at Israel and it's, okay, it's a nation. It's an actual uh, group of people that's identifiable as a nation. The church we've turned into, not we've turned into, it is um, a spiritual category that the a, an individual local church is not the only thing. There's First of all, there's a million of them. And second of all, they're all over the place. And we're sort of united as this big spiritual family. It's a lot easier to get lost in that and just say, you know what? I, yes, I'm a member of that. Uh, spiritually, I am a member of the universal church, and not get into the well. That has implications, right? Though you don't with Israel, you were a member of Israel or you weren't. The universal church, you're a member or you're not. But there's no. Um, it's very easy to say that you're a member of something that is universal and then not actually do anything about it. Talk about the thing you were talking about yesterday in terms of the whole fulfillment issue and the significance of the church in that regard and, and the kind of usage of that idea in the New Testament of fulfillment. So I was listening to, and this is um, related to what we were just talking about, which we'll I'll get to, but I was listening to Douglas Moo um, on YouTube because YouTube is fabulous. Um, <laughs> he was giving a lecture, I think it was in like 1998, and he's he's there's a series of them, and I only watched one of them, and he was talking about um, the idea of fulfillment in Matthew specifically, and how the Greek word for fulfill, which literally means to fill up, is used like many, many times in Matthew. It doesn't always mean the same thing. There's like this rich texture to the way that he uses the word that's very deliberate and teaching something specific. And so in Matthew 1, you he goes through the genealogy of Jesus and ties him very specifically to Israel. And that's the point. I mean, he gives the genealogy to tie Jesus to the history of Israel. And then he quotes... Uh, passage from Isaiah, basically saying Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of a Messiah. Right. And the fulfill word there is very specifically, he is fulfilling that specific prophecy, he is the Messiah. And then you get to Matthew 2, and Jesus has to be escaped to Egypt, and then he's coming back uh, from Egypt, and Matthew says this was to fulfill what was written, and then he quotes Hosea, about out of Egypt I have called him. And you would think, if you're just reading Matthew, that the word is being used the exact same way, another prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling. 
it's not actually a prophecy in Hosea. It's not referring to Jesus. He's using the word fulfill in a different way to mean that Jesus here, what he's saying is he's recapitulating Israel's story. Right. So Israel's in the wilderness for 40 years and fails the test. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and passes. Um, Israel came out of Egypt and into the promise. Jesus is coming out of Egypt, and he's bringing with him the new covenant. So fulfill there is just used in a different way than it was, and it provides its it's bigger, in a sense, than right. it was in Matthew 1. So that by the time you get to uh, when Jesus in Matthew 5 says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, you know, what Jesus is saying there is this, I am what that was about. Right. He, I'm fulfilling it. I am better than. I am, <laughs> I'm right. not abolishing it. I'm what the whole thing was about, and I'm ushering in this new covenant. It's just, it was really fascinating to, um, to consider that in the context of Ephesians 2, where Paul says, this is not about the ordinances of Judaic right. law anymore. Right. This is Gentiles. You now have access to the same spirit, in the same spirit, to God as your, you know, Jewish brethren. And it's, we're all the same. It's, you know, the old covenant, you were separated, you were strangers and right. aliens. Right. Jesus has ushered in this new covenant that you can participate in, um, which, again, it's understandable. These Israelites, a lot of them didn't, didn't love the idea. Uh, but for, for us Gentiles, it's pretty glorious. Right. And, and it seems to me that some of the application you can make from that is that you know, the strength of the ethnic ties that the people of Israel had with one another because they were uh, ethnically one group is the same power, the same draw, the same strength, I guess is the word I'm looking for, to which we, we are called as the family of God. Right. And that there's, uh, you can't do that. You can't have that kind of strength of commitment, that strength of tie, of love, of commitment. I say commitment twice. Um, you know, you can't have that when you just say, oh, yeah, yeah, the body of Christ universal. Yeah, I'm part of that. There's got to be relational ties. There's got to be specific things that you're walking in and living in the good of to, to really be able to uh, make that shadow begin to appear in terms of its fulfillment. And in Paul's thinking at, at, in this passage, the only thing that would prevent that strength of unity is the hostility between right. the right. two, between the Israelites and the Gentiles. Like he was saying, this, is, this kills the hostility is the phrase that he uses. Right. So we're united in Christ. I don't think it was part of the equation there that people would be like, yeah, that's good. I'm yeah. not going to show up on Sunday. <laughs> right. Like, right. I think that's so right. foreign to this passage. Paul's thinking, this kills the hostility. We're going to be united in Christ. There's a strength right. and a bond that comes from that that's absolutely incredible. Um, and not to be taken for granted. Right. And we're going to get into the kind of cosmic... Uh, implications of that next week when we're talking in, in chapter three. So great job. Thank you. I really, really did enjoy and was inspired by that message. It, I had a couple of people mention to me that I re-preached the message in the closing at the end. <laughs> there to say, you know, Joey did a fine job. You didn't really need to re-preach it. <laughs> I but took it 25 was. minutes to preach a message that then dad 
takes another 10 minutes to close so that's no problem so yeah and that's yeah one of those things that i need help with but anyway so thank you thanks for listening everyone um we are going to be back next week to discuss dad's message uh we really hope these are useful um for you guys and we appreciate you taking the time to listen um have a good week and show up to church on the lord's day